Well, let's bow together in response to that song in prayer. Our God, we thank you for allowing us through song to reflect on who it is that you are. You are the uncreated one, and you are the one who has created everything. You hung the stars, you, you know the number of the sands, and yet you are also the author of our salvation. You appeared in flesh in the person of your Son. You sent him to die in the place of sinners. But you also raised him from the dead to reign as king forever. And so we give you our praise and our worship this morning. We exalt you. And we thank you, Father God, that you have revealed and you have preserved all these wonderful truths that we've just sung about and that we just mentioned in your word. We can see them with our eyes and, and we can receive them with our hearts. We pray now that as we peer into a portion of your word this morning, that your spirit would indeed, as he always does, guide us into all truth. Help us to see clearly what you would have for us. Apply these truths, press these truths into our hearts. And may we not only be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. We, we willingly put ourselves under your word this morning. Speak to us now in your word and in the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 1. Again, I ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Second Timothy. And by the end of the summer, your Bible will naturally go there because we're going to be working through this book together for the next number of months. Second Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, and of love, and of self-control. This is God's holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, and sufficient Word. Gospel ignited relationships for our joy. Paul and Timothy's relationship could be described that way as being gospel ignited. And I use that word ignited because of verse 6, where Paul encourages Timothy there to fan into flame the gift of God. He's encouraging Timothy to. Keep the gift of God going. And that gift of God I generally just take as the gospel, our gospel ministry. To keep the gift of God burning hot. To keep fanning it into flame so that it stays ignited and keeps roaring rather than allowing it to fizzle out. That's Paul's charge to Timothy here 
in this letter. And I say the gift is general. Paul, Timothy had some unique gifts that, that, uh, that gave him the abilities to, to do what he was being called to do. But generally, I think that gift is a gospel sort of ministry. And, and Paul had a, and Timothy had a very tight relationship that was built on and that was spent on the gospel. The older Paul had already spent his life on the gospel by this point, And now he's going to encourage the younger Timothy to do the same thing. And we're going to see that this relationship between them was a very warm relationship. It was a deep relationship. It was a profound relationship, kind of like the ideal father-son relationship. Only this relationship that they had was held together by a common faith. It was held together by a unified purpose for their lives, a shared charge from God. Namely, the gospel, the message that Jesus came to save sinners. And 1 Timothy says, of which I was the foremost. Paul called himself a chief of sinners there, but he was grateful for the grace that God had given him. And Paul played a role, played the role of the spiritual father, and Timothy played the role of the spiritual son. And so for these two summer months, Lord willing, we're going to spend our time working our way through a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, a letter that was at the same time an inspired letter that God wanted the church to have through history, and a letter that God wants us to have today, here on July 1st, 2018, as we gather together here in this building. My prayer, especially today, as we think about the opening of this letter those words I just read is that we would be so touched by what God has done for us through Jesus Christ that we strive to have the kind of relationships within the church, within the body of Christ that are marked by these kinds of feelings that we see Paul express to Timothy here. Constant prayer for him. Longing to see him. Talks there about tears and, and the opposite of tears, joy. Reminders to just keep on going. Those are the kinds of relationships that we should strive for as God's children, with God's people. So since this is the beginning of a new series, I just want to back up a little bit and just bring us up to speed on the background or the occasion for this letter. What was going on here that made Paul want to write this letter to Timothy? Well, for one thing, you should know that this is Paul's last letter. This is his final letter before he would die before he would be killed as a martyr. He's writing from the city of Rome, likely somewhere around 65, 66 AD. He's in prison, and he's already been sentenced to death. He was arrested and detained at one point already in Rome, but that was basically a house arrest where he was, where he was free to have people over and, and, and host people and so forth. He and then he was, after that, he was freed, and he did a little bit of traveling again around the Roman Empire, but then he was arrested again. Nero was the Roman Empire, emperor by this point in 64 AD. As tradition goes, Nero had set the whole city of Rome on fire. But he ended up actually blaming the Christians for doing it and had many of them arrested, including Paul, who would have likely have been Christianity's most well-known leader with maybe one of the biggest followings there in Rome. 
This time, though, he was put into what is, if you go to Rome, the famous Mamertine prison, which would have been an, an ancient max security prison. He was likely in an uh, underground, domed dungeon, just with a small hole on the top to be able to get a little bit of light. If you want to look over to chapter 4, sometime this afternoon, you'll see that Paul was lonely. And so he used this letter to ask Timothy to tell some people to bring him a few things. And one of the few things that Paul was able to do while he was in this prison was to write a letter and to get it delivered over to Timothy. So Paul was in Rome. Well, what about Timothy? Now, Timothy was likely a generation down from Paul. We, we can't know exactly, but my guess is that Paul would have probably been in his early 60s, and Timothy maybe in his late 30s when this was written. Paul had met Timothy when he went through, uh, in his travels, he went through Timothy's hometown of Lystra, and eventually Timothy became probably Paul's most trusted partner in the gospel. But Paul had told Timothy to stay behind in the city of Ephesus to take care of the church there, to set things in order, and that's what 1 Timothy is actually all about, while he left for Rome. And just a little bit of a point of interest here, it's likely that Timothy made it to Rome eventually, and he may have actually have been there when Paul was martyred. Well, the portrait of both Paul and Timothy and the connection and the relationship that they have with each other is going to start to fill out in in the beginning of this letter. So let's dive in and look at that first section up to verse 7. Paul identifies himself as the author of the letter there in verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And so, in, in some way, Paul starts the letter just by giving his credentials. And I think that tells us that this letter was not meant just for Timothy, but for the church there in Ephesus. Timothy knew full well who Paul was. He didn't need to introduce himself that way. He could have just said, this is coming from Paul, and here we go. We sort of end our letters all the time now with our name. Back then, they used to start their, letter, their letters with who is writing, and he could have just said Paul. And so in some way, Paul, like I said, is, is, is um, wanting this letter to be distributed and read to the church. But, and he gives this official type greeting here. But Paul tells us that he's an apostle. So there were only 12 apostles plus one. There, he was kind of like the 12 apostles of Jesus. He came by it a little differently than the rest of them did. As, as Jesus appeared to them after he was resurrected there on the road to Damascus, you remember the story where he struck blind and, he, and Jesus comes into him and says, why are you persecuting me and so forth. So Paul is just like the Twelve in terms of his reputation and in terms of the weight of his authority. He'd been appointed by God, and for Paul it was primarily to preach to the Gentiles. The rest of them were appointed mostly to preach for the Jew, to the Jews, but Paul had given this, been given this more wider extent of, of a charge from God. His appointment, his commission, is by the will of God. Paul did not volunteer for this, He had been deployed by God himself for a precise purpose. And he spells out that purpose. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. And that life, the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus is just another way of saying the gospel. 
That's a summary of what the good news is. It's the promise of life. It's the promise of eternal life in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian, this is the message that you have believed and have embraced, right? You were dead in your sins. You've been made alive in Christ as you repented and as you trusted in the one who died and was raised, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. This is how we were saved. This is what we are now to proclaim and to share. It's the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Let me just stop there and say that there might be someone here today who has not heard of Jesus, or at least not heard that he can be your Savior and that he can give you eternal life. And so this promise here, uh, this promise is offered to you. It's extended to you today. And so I would simply say, repent and believe the gospel uh, admit that you're a sinner, recognize that you're sinning, you're, you're breaking of God's law. James says if you've broken even one of these, means that you have offended a holy God and you must face the penalty for your sins. But praise God, he sent Jesus, and Jesus took that penalty for you as he died on the cross so that you don't have to. That's the way it goes. Either you have to die for your sins or you Trust in the accomplishments of Christ who already died for your sins. That's how you become a believer. And now if you repent and believe that Jesus did that, you can have eternal life. That's the promise of life in Christ Jesus. And if you want to know more about that, I plead with you to come and talk to me about that. I usually am over by the lamppost outside after the service, and I'd love to talk to you more about that. But back to verse 1. That was Paul. But that message is also what... Paul was going to pass on now to Timothy, his beloved child in the faith. And he would pass this on to Timothy so that once Paul dies and once he fades off the scene, Timothy would carry on this ministry. And so he greets Timothy there in verse 2. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and even in that threefold greeting there that we've become so familiar with and all these, if, if you're familiar with any of Paul's letters, we see those great gospel words again. Grace for the undeserving and therefore the helpless. Mercy for the guilty. Peace for those who were at one time enemies of God, one time at war with God. This is the message that Paul is passing on to his dear younger friend. And this is the message that Timothy is to carry on in Paul's absence. This is the message we must carry on as, as leaders in the church in the absence of Paul and Timothy and generations of Christians before us. This is the message the world needs to hear from you. As the letter progresses, Paul is going to tell Timothy to share in suffering for the gospel, to not be ashamed of the gospel, to follow the pattern of sound words, to remind them of these things, to preach the word. Paul wants Timothy to carry on the message of the gospel, the message that he loved, the message that basically put him into prison. He wants Timothy to move that message forward with the same kind of passion, with the same kind of abandon. This is the message that the world needs so badly to hear and to love and to embrace. But Paul's passion for the gospel and Paul's partnership and mentorship with Timothy in this pursuit led him to long for Timothy during that dark and lonely time where Paul was sitting there in that prison. 
In many ways, we could say that Paul occupied Timothy's mind in those days. In many ways, Paul's memories and longing for Timothy is what kept Paul going while he was in prison. And that poses a question for us who are Christians. Do you have someone like this in your life? Do you have someone that is this close to you because of your common love for Christ and the gospel? And, and so we're not just talking here about a close friend or, or any close acquaintance. We're talking about someone with whom your common love and service for Jesus is the one thing that you have in common. The one thing that brought you together as friends, as partners, as acquaintances, as co-laborers for Christ. Is there someone who, when they have been separated from you, you long for them with this same kind of intensity? Because you know that this person shares your love for Jesus Christ. Listen to the intensity of how much Timothy occupied Paul's thoughts when he was separated from Timothy and alone there in that prison. Back to verse 3. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. It wasn't enough to just say constantly. He had to add night and day. Almost redundant, but it just highlights his concern. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Again, I remind you of the passion And how much recollections of Timothy are what occupied Paul's thoughts. He starts there. We should always start by thanking God. It's God that shaped Paul's life. It's God that shaped Paul's relationships and friendships and partnerships. He says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. I think by ancestors, Paul could have meant his own family, who would have been devout Jews, Or he could have been thinking even further back to all the Jewish patriarchs. But he says he serves God with a clear conscience. It's instructive as well. He's not perfect. He's not sinless. But he is guiltless in that he knows that Jesus, as I mentioned before, already paid for his sins on the cross. That's why he could say, I serve God with a clear conscience. But Paul is thanking God for remembrances of his beloved child, Timothy. See that number of times here. Verse 3, as I remember. Verse 4, as I remember. Verse 5, I am reminded. Timothy occupied Paul's mind. He occupied his mind all the time. I, remind, I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Timothy was on Paul's mind 24-7. And his thoughts drove him to pray for Timothy. Notice that Paul doesn't just feel sorry for himself there in that prison and 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 just sort of let his mind keep thinking about how much better it would be if he were on the outside and to be with Timothy. No. He knew he could still be productive and bear fruit from prison. And that fruit was the fruit of prayer for his child in the faith. He he couldn't do ministry in the same way as when he was free, but he could still serve God. He may have been in prison, but he was still free to pray. In fact, he was free to pray constantly, night and day. He could intercede in prayer, we might say, even more than if he was free. He was still serving God by praying for Timothy and for others. 
There's a lesson there for us, isn't there? Maybe you cannot serve in the same ways that you have in the past or even as you would like. It's not prison that's hindering, hindering your service, but it might be physical limitations. It might be financial limitations. Maybe it's that season in your life where you have small children or you're working away or, or you're somehow unable to move or you're maybe even in a season of being downcast. The lesson from Paul is that you can pray for others and maybe even with greater freedom and with greater intensity and with greater constancy. Turn to God. Turn to others. Pray especially for people who you know, who you serve God with, who are maybe younger and who are still serving God and and who are in need of your prayer. You can be of great service to them as you pray. That's what Paul did for Timothy. That's what Paul was for Timothy. Even though they were separated, Paul was still building into Timothy, only now through his prayers. He goes on and says, As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Paul remembers Timothy in in his prayers, but now he thinks back to the last time that they saw each other. It was a tearful goodbye. There was already one time when Paul had left Timothy in Ephesus, and that time it said in Acts 20, verse 37, there was much weeping on the part of all. You know, in our day, men, when they're together, kind of keep their feelings repressed for the most part, but in that day, men expressed their feelings way more freely. You can even sometimes see that in the Middle East when, when someone dies, there's just this loud weeping on the part of men. But in, and so in that day, it was like that, and that's what was happening here. And, and those, that weeping included tears. Paul's memory of those tears as he's sitting there in that prison made Paul long to see Timothy. And I love that last line, that I, I may be filled with joy. Yes, there were tears at their parting. Paul, though, envisioned joy at their reunion. And like I said, I believe they did get to see each other again just before Paul died but we see their love for each other and Paul's longing to see Timothy, don't we? They were drawn together by their common love for the gospel and they wanted to be together. Just note well here that writing a letter was not enough for Paul. He longed to see Timothy face to face. Today I think we're far too satisfied with writing or with emailing or with texting or with direct messaging, and I lump myself in with that. Technology can be, uh, we have to say and have to admit, technology can be leveraged for so many good things. It can increase efficiency, it can increase productivity, but sometimes it comes at the expense of seeing people, looking them in the eyes, seeing their facial expressions, those sort of things, which are of great value, and seeing their tears and their joys. Paul could write Timothy, but that paled in comparison with seeing him. For him, writing a letter was not enough. He longed to see him. Just think what Paul and Timothy would have had, what would have been, or how excited they would have been if they would have had FaceTime. But even that could not have, would not have held a candle, a candle to them being together. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. 
partners in the gospel, long to see one another. Being with other brothers and sisters in Christ is the path to joy. And then verse 5, we see how it was the gospel that drew them together and made Paul long to be together with Timothy again. Paul was reminded of Timothy's faith. It was a sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. While he was there in prison, Paul remembered that Timothy's faith was genuine. It was the real thing. It was not a fly-by-night faith. It had deep roots. Timothy was taught well by both his grandmother and his mother. His father likely was not a, a, a believer. But Lois and Eunice probably were converted under Paul's ministry. Paul knew them. They, especially Timothy's mother, were his contemporaries in terms of age. And, and they were of the same generation. And so he knew firsthand that their faith was genuine. Paul here puts a lot of stock in parents' and grandparents' faith. Did you notice? He he had already talked about his own ancestors, and now he talked about Timothy's. You could say that Paul was thinking of his forefathers, and Timothy was thinking of his foremothers. Not not four, F-O-R-E, his foremothers. Young men and young women... Do not disregard the faith of your mothers and grandmothers. Do not take that lightly. Do not underestimate it. When we're young, we have a tendency to think that their faith in God through Christ makes them prudes, (laughs) makes them killjoys. But the faith of your grandmother and mother is of immense importance. It's their faith that will cause them to pray that God might keep you from sin. It's their faith that will cause them to plead that you will come and, and come to the place where you put your faith in Christ. I know speaking personally, I know how important my mother was to my faith. I did a lot of foolish things as a young person. I know you might not believe that, but I did. But now I believe that I did not do catastrophic foolish things in part due to the faith and prayers of my mother and even my grandmother. So don't take the faith of your moms and grandmothers lightly. Mothers and grandmothers, keep praying for your sons, for your daughters, for your grandsons, for your granddaughters. And keep putting your faith in front of their eyes. And notice Paul adds, I am sure that faith dwells in you as well, talking to Timothy. A mother's and a grandmother's faith cannot save you, right? Your hope for eternal life is not your mom's faith or your grandmother's faith. You must put your faith in Christ. Timothy had a sincere, real, 100% faith. And being reminded of Timothy's faith encouraged Paul while he was there in prison. Listen, brothers and sisters, gospel-based friendships and partnerships, uh, you might call them discipling kind of relationships, mentor-type relationships, are hugely important. You need to be looking for friends like this. You need to have friends like this. It starts, of course, with you having this kind of passion for the gospel. If Jesus has truly changed you through the gospel, and if you recognize and are for sure that it's the gospel that has basically resurrected you from being dead in sin to being alive in Christ, you will know that there is no higher pursuit. And if you have been rescued, you'll know that you need people to keep the fire burning. God did not design the Christian life to be lived in isolation. That's why we have churches. 
You need other Christians. You need Christian partnerships, and you need Christian friends. It was these precious memories of Timothy's gospel partnership that encouraged Paul there in prison in lonely, dark times. And God granted Paul these precious memories through a relationship, through shared ministry, through a common faith. Pursue those kinds of friends, those kinds of gospel partnerships, same age, might be younger, might be older. It's those partnerships and friendships that will help you when you are down and when you are lonely, when you are needy. You know, you could surround yourself with all kinds of friends. You could surround yourself with people that are indifferent to the faith. The subject just never comes up. Faith is not the glue that holds your friendship together. It's other things. It might be your job. It might be common interests. It might be your hobbies. But it's not your faith. You could also surround yourself with friends and partner with people who actually draw you away from God. They, just, they, they don't just have a neutral effect. They actually have a negative effect. Choose carefully who you invest into and who it is that influences you. Put yourself into the life of a good mentor that will strengthen your faith. Listen to that person. His or her main interest will be for your growth in the gospel and in your love for Christ. And you'll notice that that's what Paul was for Timothy. He was in a position of being able to speak into Timothy's life. Because of their common faith, Paul was now interested in Timothy's growth and in his faith. And so this letter transitions there in verse 6 from Paul remembering Timothy to Paul actually now instructing Timothy. And as that happens, keep in mind that it's this gospel-ignited relationship that not only gives Paul joy, but it's what drives Paul to want to see Timothy thrive for the gospel. For this reason, verse 6 says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Just take note there. I'm not going to go into every word in these um, these two verses because it sort of starts the instructions there, but just take note that Paul knows he's about to fade off the scene. But he's supremely interested that he reproduces himself in Timothy. Now, is that because Paul thinks much of himself? No, it's because Paul, it's not even because Paul thinks much of Timothy. It's because Paul thinks much of the gospel. That's what the rest of this letter is about. And so here as he starts, he just tells Timothy to take courage, to not let the fire of the gospel go out when Paul passes off the scene. He says, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you, Notice how it came in him through the laying on of my hands. Paul was there when Timothy was officially set apart for gospel ministry. He had invested in Timothy both officially and unofficially as they labored together for the gospel. God used that partnership then for the conversion of of tons of people all over the Roman Empire. The gospel was on fire. It was roaring. It was crackling. And now Paul is investing Timothy with the responsibility of not letting it go out. Of stoking it. Of of fanning it. He's investing and encouraging Timothy with the same courage that he had. God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self 
control. We live in a day where we need that same kind of loving, disciplined, powerful, courageous zeal to proclaim the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The opposing forces are great in our day. This is not a time for fear or for cowardice. So we'll look forward to what Paul has for us as we make our way through this letter this summer. But for today, I would just encourage you to find someone to partner with and to invest in to help you make it through these days and to serve God in these days and to proclaim the gospel in these days. Who are people that share your faith? Pray for those kinds of relationships and partnerships. Long for them, for your joy and for the spread of the gospel. Our Father, we thank you again for your grace, for your mercy, for your peace. We thank you for the gift that is the gospel. We thank you for those who you have brought into our lives to help us and to encourage us and, yes, to pray for us. Those that you have brought into our lives to spur us on to greater love and to greater service for you. We ask, our Father, that you would help us not to neglect these graces, that you would help us to seek out people to be our Paul, maybe to be our Timothy. And we thank you that from this example, we can see that those kinds of partnerships are for our joy and ultimately for your glory. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ alone. Be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.